Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. I hope you enjoyed our opening song today. It was the traditional Byzantine hymn to St. Nicholas. His feast day is coming up this week. A couple of other important days this week as well in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. But St. Nicholas is actually the patron saint of Byzantine Catholics. He's huge for us, and he is real. A lot of people wonder, gosh, was there really a St. Nicholas? Is there really a Santa Claus? And so on. You know that age-old debate. Well, for Byzantine Catholics, St. Nicholas is real. He's very real. In fact, at my own church of Annunciation in Homer Glen, Illinois, we have his icon on the icon screen in our church. The icon screen is a piece of our church, of our art and architecture, that is very prominent in the Byzantine church. It separates the sanctuary from the nave. It's a great decorative wall. It has three sets of doors on it that the priest comes in and out of and the altar servers. And it has icons on it. And one of those major icons is the icon of St. Nicholas. It's on many Byzantine Catholic icon screens as well, but certainly it is in our Church of Annunciation. St. Nicholas lived in the 4th century AD, and he is a bit of a mystery. We do know some things about him, but there's a lot of mystery to him, which makes him a very mystical and enchanting figure. And that's why eventually he morphed into what we call uh, Santa Claus, uh, Kris Kringle, those kind of names. And even his clothing was changed. And this happened 
much later on, actually just a few centuries ago, whichever way we like to look at him or portray St. Nicholas, the thing that remains is his incredible charity and humility. In fact, it's even in the song we sing to him about his humility and his charity. It's enchanting, isn't it? The whole world seems to be caught up. However they name St. Nicholas or rename him or refigure him, the whole world seems to be caught up for centuries in his mystique. What does that tell you about not only the person, St. Nicholas, but also of Christianity, especially this time of year, as we move towards the great Prince of Peace, the Prince of Charity and Compassion, Jesus Christ? Well, it tells you how profound, how real, how encompassing, how fundamental is the Christian faith, because a person who embodies it like St. Nicholas has affected generations throughout the globe for centuries. And he is very much alive even today. St. Nicholas was a bishop in the area that we know today as Turkey, as I mentioned, known for his charity, and also for a number of wonderful stories that are very enchanting as well. In fact, one of them is one of my favorites, is when St. Nicholas was in attendance at the great first ecumenical council, the Council of Nicaea. At that council, the church was battling the heretic Arius, who was the author of what we know as the Arian heresy. And what he was doing was he was pronouncing a teaching that was not correct about the two natures of Christ. And the story is this humble, meek, wonderful, charitable St. Nicholas stalked across the room with all the bishops, and he slapped Arius in the face, saying, how dare you spout these heresies? (laughs) Well, St. Nicholas was kicked out of the meeting by the other bishops, but at night, the other bishops received in a dream from the Virgin Mary, actually, the order to reinstate St. Nicholas, that he was right. He was slapping Arius symbolically, not that we're promoting slapping people, but he was slapping Arius symbolically because St. Nicholas felt so strongly about the true teaching of Christ. Isn't that wonderful today? I'm not advocating fighting and slapping, but you know what? It would be refreshing if we're going to have conflict. <laughs> I don't mean bloodshed, but if we're going to have arguments and so on, that it would be about the true nature of Christ, that we would be defending the true belief about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and especially Christ, and the true teachings of the church. Wouldn't that be refreshing in its own way? Not the fighting, but the fact that people were moved to fight, to protect and defend the true teaching. So St. Nicholas is an example of a, really, of a very whole person, charitable, loving, meek, quiet, mystery, yet a man of strength, a man who would fight for the true faith, who would stand up and defend what is right. And that's probably a reason why his image has lasted the test of time in this way, and so universal. How many saints do you know are this universal? Some of them kind of come close, like St. Francis, but St. Nicholas, there's something really, really special about him. And so we celebrate him in the Eastern churches in, well, in a way with, that has great solemnity and great tradition. One of the most beautiful traditions is on the eve of St. Nicholas, that would be December 5th on that evening. Not only do we have the Vespers and the Vigil Liturgy for St. Nicholas, but the children put their shoes out at night and they go to sleep. And then when they wake up the next day on his feast, they find out that Nicholas has visited their home and left little treats in their shoes. In fact, that's part of where we get the custom today of all of the 
Christmas shopping and gift giving. It actually comes from the spirit of St. Nicholas. He was very famous for leaving little surprises for people, especially for people in need, people who were poor. They would wake up and find money or food in their homes that wasn't there before, and they knew that St. Nicholas had somehow stopped by during the night. This week, as I mentioned, there is another great feast, and that is the feast of what in the Latin Rite Church would be called the Immaculate Conception. In the Eastern churches, we have a couple other names for it. One of them, and they're kind of variations on a theme. We don't call this feast the Immaculate Conception, per se. We call it in the Eastern churches, both Catholic and Orthodox, we call it the child begetting of St. Anne, or the conception of the mother of God in the womb of St. Anne, or sometimes the divine maternity, or to be very short, the maternity of the holy Anna. Notice there's a great emphasis there in the Eastern perspective on this feast of maternity, of childbearing, of conception. In the West, there's a strong emphasis on the fact that Mary was conceived and was born, was preserved from sin, from original sin to be specific. The East has a little bit of a different interpretation of that, although they kind of arrive at this similar place. In the Eastern churches, the emphasis is not so much on the fact that she was born without original sin as the fact that she did not sin, but that she may have had the effects of original sin. In other words, she was not personally, but she was born into a world fallen by sin. So you see, it's a little bit of a different interpretation between East and West on original sin. In the East, it's a little bit more universal. In other words, it's not only or just about inheriting guilt, as we hear in the West, especially from St. Augustine. It's more of a fallen condition, that we inherit a fallen condition. We're born into a world that is fallen. And so we're affected by original sin, even though, such as in the case of the Virgin Mary, she was not culpable of any sin. She did not commit any sin. And furthermore, she remained a virgin before, during, and after her birth. But this week, we focus on her conception. Now, oftentimes, there's a confusion. A lot of people sometimes think that the Immaculate Conception means Jesus' conception. (laughs) But his conception in the flesh is, of course, during March 25th. That's the Annunciation, where the angel Gabriel comes to the Virgin Mary and says that she will bear a child who will be the Messiah. Now, she bears Christ from the Holy Spirit. The angel announces it, but the Holy Spirit is who essentially impregnates the mother of God. The Virgin Mary, she was conceived in a natural way, in other words, by two natural parents. Her son, Jesus, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So the Immaculate Conception refers to the conception of the Virgin Mary in the womb of St. Anne, not to Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary. Hopefully it's not too confusing. (laughs) So the Immaculate Conception is the conception of the mother of God, the Virgin Mary, in the womb of St. Anne. And that's why in the Eastern churches, we call it, in various ways, the maternity of St. Anne. Since at least the 5th century AD, the church celebrated the conception of the mother of God in the womb of St. Anne. And there were two remarkable things about this conception. It occurred miraculously between a couple, Joachim and Anne, who were sterile. Secondly, in her conception, the Theotokos would remain quote-unquote, spotless and immaculate. In the Roman Catholic Church, as I mentioned, this is expressed as the immaculate conception of the Virgin Mary. In the Eastern churches, 
of course, as we said, has a little bit different title. The Conception of the Mother of God in the Womb of St. Anne or the Child Beginning of St. Anne. Who conceived the blessed birth giver of God? That's another another variation there. (laughs) We're going to talk more about this incredible feast, the Immaculate Conception or the Divine Maternity of St. Anne, when we return. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. Why does St. Nicholas deliver gifts under the cover of night? Well, that tradition began in my hometown of Patara in Asia Minor when I came to the help of a destitute man who had three grown daughters. He was so poor that he could barely feed them. Because he was so desperate, he was tempted to sell them into slavery. Then I remembered the words of Jesus who said, When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. And so I put together three bags of gold coins and tossed them through the window at night to help them. That was the first of my midnight visits. And that's the reason to this very day, even when I'm dressed as Santa Claus, I still deliver gifts under the cover of night. May the same love, joy, and peace that the angels proclaimed on that first Christmas animate your own heart to give hope to those most in need. For Christ is born. Glorify Him. (laughs) You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loyup and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. You have to admit, I'm getting into the so-called Christmas spirit, which of course is a spirit of charity, symbolized certainly, as you mentioned earlier, by St. Nicholas, whose feast we celebrate this week. So I want to just say hello and be charitable to a couple of listeners, some of our faithful, kind listeners, Jean Bray out of Tahuya, Washington. Hello, Jean. Thank you for all of your kindness to us. And also, Alexandra Martin. Greetings to you, Alexandra. Thank you for your kind email and your suggestions on what we should cover here at Light of the East. I appreciate that. And we'll be working on your suggestions as well in the future. So, hello to Alexandra Martin. And also to the man who got it all started for us, a very faithful man, very faithful listener, faithful Catholic, great individual, Charles Cook from Saginaw, Michigan. Hello, Charles. Also, since we're talking about this great feast coming up, in addition to St. Nicholas, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, or in the Eastern churches, the child beginning of St. Anne, or the 
conception of the mother of God in the womb of St. Anne. It happens on Thursday, December 8th, but there's something else happening that evening. I'll be having liturgy the night before, vigil liturgy for this feast at my Church of Annunciation. That's on Wednesday, December 7th at night. But on the 8th, which is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, I'll be once again leading what we call the Painted Prairie Studios. This is a guided painting tour. (laughs) In other words, I will be your guide, your artistic guide, your teacher, and I will lead you through a painting. We're going to paint a beautiful little Christmas scene that I think you're really going to enjoy having as a piece for your home, or maybe making copies of it and turning it into Christmas cards, either for this year or next year. That's going to be Thursday, December 8th from 7 to 9 p.m. at my church of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic in Homer Glen, Illinois. For information, you can go to our website, byzantinecatholic.com slash events slash painted dash prairie. But if you just go to the website, that'll get you there, byzantinecatholic.com. That's going to be, again, Thursday, December 8th, 7 to 9 p.m. We supply all your paints and wine and refreshments. So it's basically one of those wine art parties. But I guarantee you, you're going to walk away with a very nice piece. I can turn anybody into a pretty decent artist, if I may say so myself. Now, you see, I'm not being humble like St. Nicholas, but I'm trying to be encouraging to you. But I really mean that. We've done this several times now, and it's been very successful, and people have really walked away with a very nice piece. A lot of people realize they have artistic ability that they did not know about, and we work in both pastels, and we also work in acrylic paint. So this session will be in acrylic paint. The last one was in chalk or pastels. So once again, Painted Prairie Studios, a guided tour through a painting, your own painting, guided by me, Thursday, December 8th, 7 to 9 p.m., Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. Go to our website, byzantinecatholic.com. I hope to see you there. Enjoy a glass of wine, some refreshments, and walk away with a personal masterpiece, a gift to yourself, or you can give it as a gift to other people, because I guarantee you, you're going to have a very nice piece. Now, back to the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, or the conception of the Virgin Mary in the womb of St. Anne. The story of the conception of the Virgin Mary comes from the proto Evangelium of St. James. You see, there are other gospels, other stories in the Bible that circulated around in the early centuries, and some of them were accepted into the canon of the Scripture. In other words, it's the Bible that we know today. And some of them were not, such as this proto-evangelium of St. James. That's why they call it like a proto-gospel. In other words, it's not the actual gospel that was accepted as inspired, but It has similarities. It has interesting stories that are relevant, and they are consistent with the Scriptures. And these stories were ones that circulated centuries ago, and they form the basis of some of the Church's tradition on some of its feast days. So the story of the conception, the story itself of the conception of the Virgin Mary in the womb of St. Anne, comes from one of these stories, these these Gospels, this one, Proto-Evangelium of St. James. What happened was it was revealed by angels separately to Joachim and Anne, because they were both sterile, that the sorrow and shame of the childlessness would be relieved by a special conception. You see, both of them were very saddened by the fact that they were sterile, because in the Jewish tradition, it was a real shame to be sterile. And one of the reasons was because the Jewish people awaited the coming of the Messiah, and they believed that any birth could possibly be the Messiah. 
So they figured that, well, gee, if we may be the ones to have the Messiah, give birth to the Messiah. So they always wanted to have children. And also it was just a sign of God's goodness, of his benevolence, you know, the fruitfulness of God to have children. So it was a real shame not to have children. And in fact, what happened was upon hearing this news simultaneously, but separately, in other words, the angel came to Anne and Joachim separately as they were both praying, you know, mournfully praying about their sterility. Joachim and Anne both ran back to Jerusalem. And as we see in the icon of this feast, they meet together and embrace in front of the temple of Jerusalem. A bed is often depicted or it's implied in this icon because it makes the statement that unlike Christ's conception that we talked about earlier, through the Holy Spirit, the conception of Christ's mother would occur through the natural one flesh union of husband and wife, even though the conception itself would be miraculous. So both of them are praying. An angel appears to them, tells them both separately, you're going to have a child. They go running home in their excitement, not knowing that the angel appeared to both of them separately. (laughs) And they meet together, of all places, of course, in front of the temple of Jerusalem. Isn't that providential? Because the person that would be conceived, spotless and immaculate, in the womb of St. Anne, as the Matin service of the Byzantine church says, would become herself the living temple of the Lord and his immaculate tabernacle, more spacious than earth and heaven. So we see Joachim and Anne in this beautiful icon. We see them with this beautiful embrace right there in the middle of the icon. You can see that by the way that they're positioned, that they've been running. They're, they're moving towards each other. There's an, a kind of an action depicted there. And they come upon each other, embrace each other very tenderly, cheek to cheek. Anne's hand is around the neck of Joachim. Joachim's arm and Anne's arm are both embracing each other. It's a beautiful depiction, a great deal of tenderness and love and unity. And in the background is the Temple of Jerusalem. The temple, of course, is a metaphor for what would become the temple of the mother of God. She would become the mystical temple because what's in a temple? In the temple is the presence of God. And who is in the Virgin Mary? The presence of Christ, who is God, would be in her womb. So, very appropriately and metaphorically, Joachim and Anne, if they're going to conceive the mother of God, who herself would become the temple of our Lord, It is appropriate that they did this in front of the Temple of Jerusalem. As I mentioned, there's also often there's oftentimes a bed depicted there, because I want to make that distinction that I made earlier, that Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but the Virgin Mary was immaculately conceived in the natural way, through a man and a woman, you know, her parents, Joachim and Anne. But yet she was preserved from sin. The scriptures, tradition, liturgy, and iconography of the church so often gives special reverence and significance to the womb of womanhood and what takes place therein. Notice the emphasis in the Byzantine celebration of this feast. There's a strong emphasis about the womb, about the child beginning, about a birth, a conception, a life in the womb. Very strong emphasis in the Eastern approach. If the womb of the mother of God becomes a tabernacle, then by extension and being configured to the woman, Mary, the Theotokos. Every woman has within her own body a sacred space, what I like to call a tabernacle. Just as what went on in the womb of the great women of salvation history, like Anne and the Virgin Mary, as that determined the very destiny of humanity, so too 
what goes on in the sanctity of the womb of every woman today and forever will likewise determine the rise and fall of civilization and humanity itself. This is one of my favorite feast days because I am very committed to life, to pro-life, to the teachings of the church in the areas of life, you know, about conception, natural family planning, marriage, and the sanctity of life from the womb to the tomb. I'm very committed to that. We are here at Light of the East. And this icon and all that it means, and this feast day and all that it means, really helps to draw our focus to the sanctity of the womb, the sanctity first of the womb of the Virgin Mary that would become a tabernacle, the sanctity of the womb of Anne that was sterile and therefore, unbeknownst to her till later, reserved for a special conception, an immaculate conception. So what goes on in the womb of woman does in fact determine the whole destiny of the world. It did especially for Anne and her daughter, who would become the mother of God. And so it does for all of womanhood. And this is why it is so important for the church and all of us to work towards the protection of that sanctity of the womb, to work tirelessly for the issues of the sanctity of life in whatever form they are, from a person who has to make difficult decisions about the end of life for maybe a relative, all the way to the conception in the womb and everything in between, everything that has to do with the dignity of the human person. This is what this feast day draws our attention to, and that's why it is so special. I'm going to thank you for listening. Have a blessed feast of the Immaculate Conception, the Conception of St. Anne and of St. Nicholas. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.